is Existential, a podcast aimed at reminding you that it's okay to be human. We listen to human stories and human experiences, and we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. What's up, folks? Welcome to another episode of Existential. Before we get into this conversation with uh, our next guest, let me just do some housekeeping. Um, first of all, thank you to all of you who are Patreon supporters. I really appreciate you. Uh, stay tuned to the end of this broadcast. There's some extra bonus footage in there for you. Uh, but also, I wanted to just um, let everybody know, I have been getting some feedback that it seems like a weekly podcast is a little bit too much given the nature of the content we're getting into, which I never imagined would be an issue, but it, it is. I want you to be able to keep up. I want you to be able to uh, digest these conversations we're having. So I'm going to adjust the frequency just so you are aware. If you, if any of you who are keeping up with the weekly broadcast that like you might get on and there's nothing there, I don't want you to be alarmed. Don't call the police. Well, you probably shouldn't call the police anyway, but don't call don't call anybody. Don't get upset. Uh, it's just we are slowing down a little bit. But uh, that's it for housekeeping. I have a guest today that I'm, I'm so excited to talk to. I love talking to deep thinkers. And we were talking just a little bit already um, before uh, we, we started this episode. Dante Stewart is, is with us, author of Shouting in the Fire, um, is our guest today. Dude, how are you? Thank you for coming on the podcast. What's, what's going on in your world? think you're muted. Oh, hold on. Okay, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> uh, in in this present moment, I'm doing well. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm great. Even though, you know, the weather is terrible outside, it's very overcast, and I, I so much of my mood is dependent on the weather. Really? And how, how oh, yeah, how, how it feels outside, how it seems outside. So it's very overcast today. My uh, office is very well lit. Uh, I've been working on thesis, and I'm making some headway on it, and and even on book number two that I've been working on. So I am doing good in this very in this present moment. Well, I mean, you just move move from Georgia to California like I did. You know, I mean, and, and yeah. it's, always, it's always sunny. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and the crazy thing is, I'm I'm from South Carolina, so I'm I'm good. I'm used to like, you know, the weather doing like whatever it wanted to do, you mm -hmm. know, and then moving to Cali is like, you know, 68, 70 and sunshine every day and living here in Georgia for like, I mean, since seven, uh, 20, 2015. So like seven years now, I done got reacclimated to weather in the South. We're like last week, crazy thing ever. Like last week, literally it was like 80 degrees the day before Then the next day it was like 40 hot 30. And then it started hailing. Helling out of the middle of nowhere. That so, should never happen. That's, that sounds yeah. like hell to me. If you know, I mean, I you know, those of you listening, everybody knows how I feel about this notion of eternal conscious torment. I think it's bullshit. But Perfect. if there is a hell, that's what it sounds like <laughs> to me. That it's, it's eighty Same. degrees one day, and the next day it's forty, and then a couple of weeks after that, you got all this this thick layer of yellow dust on your car called Facts. pollen, and you can't Facts. breathe for four days. Thanks. It's happening right now, and I have <laughs> terrible allergies. <laughs> My guy, man, I'm I'm just I'm I'm stoked to have you on. Um, Thank you. This book you wrote is phenomenal. Everybody's talking about it. I see it everywhere. It's it's almost it seems like it's book writing season, right? I mean, I'm, I have so many, oh, so yeah. many people I know that have written books, and books are coming out. And what mm -hmm. I love about it is there are so many books coming out from black theologians, black thinkers. Yeah. Like like this reemergence, almost a renaissance of of black writing. Are you noticing that? Because there's there's a lot more oh, yeah. black folks writing now. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Um, and and of course we know black folk always been writing. Yeah. So I, I do think that we also have to take into account the ways in which like twenty twenty rep <laughs> represented a a a kind of explosion of of uh, I guess in some sense, where in response to the ways in which we continue to talk about the ways black people and other marginalized communities are erased, then so many of like organizations, institutions were willing to create space for whatever reason they wanted to do that. I'm not going to put any kind of morality on that. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know, you know, and things like that. 
but you know people were more willing especially through you know hashtag publishers paid me <laughs> people were willing to to be honest about the limitations of these institutions and, yeah. and wanted to do anything wanted to do whatever they could to change it and so we always were here you know it's just that the timing just wasn't there for so many of us because even some of our favorite writers such as you know ksa layman jasmine ward mm. you know Jason Reynolds, Robert Jones Jr., Mar- Mar- Maurice Ruffin, Disha Phil, y'all. So many of them were were Roxanne Gay. I mean, so many of them back in their moments, they had to like grind and, and struggle because so many of these places didn't believe in them or believe in their work. Um, and now we're seeing where these spaces are actually creating space and things like that. It, it reminds me of Toni Morrison. She was writing in... Um, in her essay collection, in the anthology of her work, the the source of self regard, where she was talking about, like, with the exception of Muhammad Ali uh, autobiography, most of the black books that she, um, black books that she acquired as an editor at Random House, their sales were unimpressive. This is the language she used, and she was talking about wow. being in a sales meeting, and 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 one of the one of the persons who who were part of that kind of space was like, yo, we can't sell on both sides of the pond or something like that, or both sides of the tracks. Um, mm. And this was kind of in the context of her writing about her pulling together black the Black Book. And I think about that, and I think about 2020, I think about this quote-unquote renaissance, where it's not that, that, that our literature or our creativity, our imagination isn't there. Oftentimes, it's stifled because of the kind of exist, the institutions that we got to, quote-unquote, mm. make it in, mm. uh, don't make room. But, you know, mm. we find a way, you know, we as black folk, we find a way to show up for ourselves and show up for our work and show up mm. for one another. Like, even if they don't got us, we at least going to have ourselves. And I'm grateful that we are in a moment right now where more space has been created. And then we think about access, like there's yeah. more access to like everyday folk like us to be in conversation or be connected to like some of our favorite writers yeah. um, where in other moments, maybe that may have not been the case. And so like that gave, that gave us, I'm, I'm only 30. That gives us a sort of type of risky audacity to be like, yo, if they could do it, if they got it like that, then then I can have it like that as well. So I do see a Renaissance um, in, in that sense. Yeah, bro. That, that is an incredible distinction. I'm glad you made it because as you were talking, I thought about like Jackie Robinson, right? Mm-hmm. And, and imagine in that time, somebody saying, wow, it's amazing how black people can play baseball now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, like we couldn't play baseball before, but now because you're watching us play baseball, you are now coming alive to and awakening to the reality that black people can do some stuff. And Thanks. in your mind, it's like, oh, now, now they have learned to do X, mm-hmm. Y, and Z, and mm-hmm. I'm glad you. I'm glad you you brought that to light because I don't ever want it to be heard that we're communicating with with a emerging that that emerging is because black people all of a sudden have developed Facts. a new skill. Facts. The emergence is that some white folks, some people from dominant culture, have gone. We need to make more space. And Mm -hmm. that hasn't even been of their own volition. That has Mm -hmm. been from the groundswell of movements like Black Lives Matter, of movements Mm -hmm. from people like Linda Sarsour and and other organizers of the world who have gone, Mm -hmm. we're going to keep pushing. And now folks like you and I can have a platform, a voice, books can come Mm -hmm. out, all those sorts of things. So that's brilliant, man. I'm so, I, Mm -hmm. I so appreciate you bring mm-hmm. that light, man. Yeah, yeah, facts. And I and I think I, I think we got to speak also to like, yo, we need to ride this wave, yo. Like, cause I, I feel like in our kind of activist orientation, it's like, yo, yo, if 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 white people throw our money, it's bad money. Or if white people <laughs> doing this, then it's bad this. I don't trust and I, don't I'm trust just you. like, hey, bro, hey, bro, I'm from I'm I'm from the gutter, dog. Hey, hey, I heard somebody say, hey, all press is good press. And I'm not saying, you know. I'm not saying just be a part of this idea of like, yo, get it how you live. Cause even in my own experience, my short experience as a writer or somebody in public, like I'm going to just shoot it straight with a lot of people. Like, like I done met time. I done met people and, and I've been in situations 
where people have exploited what I have and what I bring to the table. And I'm talking about black folk. I ain't talking about white folk. I'm talking about black folk, mm. you know, have exploited areas in my life of vulnerability or gifting for their own gain and for their own use, you know? So like, we need to be honest about that. Like, yo, like, like on one hand, you got to have to get how you live, but also, you know, that, that, but, but not that mentality of what Toni Morrison was war- warning against with her students. When she said, yo, when y'all get these jobs, you got to realize that like, you know, your job is to free somebody else. This ain't no grab bag. This ain't no grab bag game. You know, so it's holding intention like, yo, we need to create space and things like that, but also holding intention that like, yo, if it's there, get it, use it, do whatever you want with it. Um, and, 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 and like, like, like really, really, really take into account like, like what it does to you or what it, what it gives to you and who you're going to be. Like, I'll never forget this joint. My boy, one of my friends, we were having this conversation, bro. I, I thought it was brilliant. It's a lit conversation. He was talking about like, like this whole idea of like, get it how you live. He says, he says, when I see a dude or I see a person like, trying to have their hand everywhere, you know, boom, 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 boom. They're trying to do all this. They're trying to move this way. He said, I'm always listening, looking at how people moving and maneuvering in the world. Right. He said, if I see a person like that, he said, I might, I'm never going to question your hustle, but I always will question your ethics. Wow. Never going to question your hustle. Wow. But I ain't going to question your ethics. So I think we need to be thinking about that as well. That like, yo, go out here, put your hand everywhere that you can, get all you can, why you can, get it how you can. But also as you getting it and as you grinding and as you doing it, give it to somebody else, create room for everybody else. Because at the end of the day, these systems of oppression are also about systems of erasure and exceptionalism. And if people can make us believe, particularly those of us who have been from historically marginalized communities, if they can make us believe that we're the exception, like I write about in the book, you know, then 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 oftentimes we become terrible things. Um, but we need not be that way. So yeah. Bro. I mean, so as I read about you and, and, and read just things you've written, it's become like so apparent to me how similar we are um, mm. in terms of the migration, if you will, away from white evangelicalism and even mm-hmm. calling it deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm hearing from you a wealth of knowledge and attachment to Black history, Black culture, Black thinking, Black writers. Mm-hmm. How new is that? Because I I know that being a part of white evangelicalism, there is a, an erasure to our connection yep. to the ancestors, our connection mm-hmm. to our theologians, our, our connection to our scholars, because we sort of fold ourselves into all of their scholars and all of their, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I make that distinction. Let me be, let me be very clear. I make that distinction on purpose because it's not as if I, I ever heard about James Cone prior to leaving the white evangelical church. I never heard about Dolores Williams. I never heard about, mm-hmm. Um, any any of the, the the black writers? I never heard about you. <laughs> you know the, the the people out there that were like yeah. that were saying things that were contributing to the framework and the tapestry of theology. Never heard about them when I was in white church, mm. or until I left. So how mm. new is it for you that you've kind of been sort of uh, fishing out of this pond of black thought for your theology? Mm. Yeah, that I, I mean it. it like it's partly new, but it's partly old too. So like I think about like one of my boys um you used the term like recollection. Like 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 not yeah, as in a sense yeah, of like yeah, recollection. Yeah. Like he, he used it in the sense of a double meaning. So like he used it as like recollection of like something that was in the past, but also recollection, recollection with a with a dash. As yeah, a way of thinking about what we're doing in the present. So when I think about like when I when I think about recollection and 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 my Pentecostal past and my mom and my grandma and my granddaddy, uh, God rest his soul. Um, I think about like all these books that that were part of our past, like whether it was magazine clippings, whether it was um news articles, like literally, like I, I got a news article up here that my mother had 
1963, um, the actual original paper from 1963 when John F. Kennedy was murdered. And it was the black and it's the black newspaper uh, of the murder of uh, that, that the black editorial, the newspaper in response to the murder of JFK. Um, and so, so much of um, my upbringing was rooted in black Pentecostalism was rooted in like black people's desire for literacy and liberation. You got to think about my parents, our parents, you know, they're, they're babies of oftentimes the fifties, the sixties, the seventies. Our grandparents are babies of the twenties, thirties, forties. If they're still alive and around and through all these various years and decades, they were always like, like move movements in consciousness and the ways in which like black people think about themselves. So my mother and my father, they were babies of uh, uh, um, the civil rights movement, as well as babies of the black consciousness movement, the black power movement, 1970s, where black people went from being Negro and then black. So mm-hmm. therefore, like so much of what they thought about themselves, even if like their ideas of religion didn't expand and, and faith didn't expand, at least their ideas of themselves as being black did. Um, and so this yeah. is rooted in like, like we're going to read our literature. We're going to read our, we're going to support our businesses. We're going to do this stuff. So, so much of my upbringing was rooted in um, the work of like Alice Walker or Margaret Walker or Richard Wright or Langston Hughes, um, Tony Morrison, which my mom told a story of at my grandfather's funeral that Tony Morrison's Song of Solomon was the first book she ever was given by my granddaddy. Wow, and, and even thinking about this tradition of inheriting this story that that first book, uh, the book Tony Morrison's Song of Solomon, was the first thing that my mother was given from my grandfather, and then now and I'm a writer, and so of course through my own transition through college and going into white church spaces, you know, the further I moved away from home, the further I moved away from that past, the closer I moved into whiteness and learning who they were and. And, and believing that, you know, hey, this is how I make it, this is how I get it. But then, like, as, as 2016, 17, 18 happened and I leave white churches, uh, I kind of get tired of what they were doing and, and start to come into my own and think for myself yep. through a very messy process of reevaluation and change, uh, which is hard, it's messy, it's tough, it's, dis- it's, it's disorienting. Um, then I learned the power of recollecting. Um, and so, so much as my boy Kiese speaks about, you know, the power of revision and how revision is about rewriting your own story. I speak about the power of recollecting as yeah. going back to our literature, as going back to these stories, as discovering, as I write about in my thesis, the black sacred imagination, a certain type of way of reading black life as a part of divine revelation, as our experiences, that our world is as much a starting point as any other point in the world, and that there's something there for us to gain and how we interpret and innovate, in some sense, our own stories and reinvent ourselves and our religion and our frameworks so that hopefully our children and those around us can be given something better. Come on, man. I'm I'm shouting in the fire now. <laughs> hey, thanks, bro. Facts. Listen, I I I was having this conversation with a friend not too long ago. It's a white friend of mine, and we were talking about our our religious upbringing and how we grew up. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how, like, at you know, his parents didn't let him listen to certain music or watch certain movies. Um, and you know, they were they were you know, music with cuss words, things like that in them, right? And I was talking mm. about how in my upbringing, there were also things that I couldn't watch in my black mm. household, Christian household, mm-hmm. and listen to, but they were for two different reasons, right? Mm-hmm. One, in the white household, it was like, we don't want to, we don't want you to use this language because it's not good language, it's not good behavior as a Christian. On the mm-hmm. black side of things, there was stuff like E.T., the Smurfs, stuff like that, that my mom was like, that's demonic. And mm. it were influence you from what like something from without will influence how you behave not necessarily just Mm. how you think but how you behave spiritually i bring that up to say there's a part of our dna as black folks from africa the Mm. spirituality that is practiced there is very spiritual it's very Mm. much aware of the ancestors very much aware of of demons and all those sorts of things that we 
have now in America, even the way we practice religion here. But mm-hmm. a lot of black folks, especially that have proximity to white evangelicalism, do not acknowledge that spirituality from Africa as valid. Mm-hmm. Oh, even yeah. Though they're practic- practicing it, they're still demonizing their own heritage and foundation for what they believe now. Oh, 100%. I think I think this 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 is likened to what Baldwin says in The Fire Next Time, you know, where we're like there's a section in The Fire Next Time where where Baldwin talks about the kind of continuity and discontinuity between white religion and black religion, where he speaks of he he says that I thought that the principles of faith, hope and love or faith, hope and charity uh, should guide the rights and traditions of the church. But he found that blindness, loneliness, and terror wow. oftentimes was at the heart of what black people experienced between in the in the connection between the pulpit, the pew, and the public. Um, and, and as people think about the Friday next time, I think you know the Friday next time is as much a a theological manifesto as it is a, a an incredible piece of Facts. American literature. Facts. And so much of what Baldwin is trying to do is kind of get us to interrogate um, these ideas about God and about church and about ourselves and about love and move away from self-hatred of dehumanizing our own personhood and our humanity, uh, devaluing our own liberation. And he wants to kind of interrogate those images and the ways in which they inform us um, and inform what we do. But he also trying to get us to reimagine them and reinvent them uh, to see that like blindness, like how we do not see ourselves, loneliness, how we cut ourselves off from one another and terror, being afraid of God and being fearful of hell oftentimes turns faith into an experience of fear rather than faith as an embodiment of freedom. Man, so good. One of the, one of those things I think that we um, allow ourselves as Black folks to be disconnected from that I think is powerful, and you bring this to light in your book, is the notion of being angry. It, it, mm-hmm. So, you know, there's this prevailing idea, even amongst some of our some of our own contemporaries that are Black, that mm. you don't want to come off as angry. Right. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be mad. So you just go through the world and endure these things, but don't show any emotion about it because Mm -hmm. that reveals it's almost like that reveals that you're black. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's like, don't let like if you're gonna if you're gonna operate in spaces where dominant culture is going to pay you, Mm -hmm. dominant culture is gonna respect you, dominant culture is gonna tolerate you, you can't be mad. And I think that like Mm -hmm. One of, about, one of the things about your book that I think is 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 fascinating is you attempting to redeem this notion of the full humanity of Black folks, and one of those attributes is anger. Mm. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And that that's you know, and that that section, you know, that section of rage, like really, I, I tried to really like take what like people were saying in about anger and rage, and 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 kind of re-narrated so like and and the crazy thing is like i don't think people talk to me enough about this in podcasts it's like or even when they talk about my book is the ways in which like almost that chapter is like a theology of rage and the the a a a and i you know no cap no boost like a profound theology of rage like i felt like i did like well and like holding attention like i did my thing on that <laughs> yeah, the tension between, you know, like black rage and white rage and like rage as a spiritual virtue rather than a spiritual or social vice. Yes. Like, you know, as 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 a way to uncover. So if we think about blindness, loneliness, and terror, like I love that Baldwin used those words, like like blindness, loneliness, and terror. If you think about that, like those are also experiences of people in the Bible as well that when we think about oppression, oftentimes oppression, or even we think about um, when when Jesus uh, uh, wanted to heal people, or he, he speaks in Luke chapter four, like, or even John 10, 10, when he says, I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly into the full. Jesus is in some sense, or, or those in the Hebrew Bible is in some sense, trying to liberate humanity from the experience of blindness, loneliness, and terror. 
like in, in rage, anger, whether you're talking about Jesus in the temple or Nehemiah when he comes back uh, to Israel and, and to Jerusalem and sees the ways in which, you know, uh, 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 there were systems in place that, that uh, devalued and exploited uh, the vulnerable. At the heart of their response, uh, their spiritual response to a social problem was the ability to express their anger and their rage at the way things were. Yes, um, absolutely. You, we, we as people, you know, we can, we, we oftentimes, you know, when we think about like oppression and marginalization and erasure and, and the ways in which like, like people are forced to disappear in order to just simply exist, like that doesn't mean like, like, like we as people, we don't all, we're not always angry at those things. Oftentimes we, 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 we have the ability to not see these things. But I think when, when we think about theology or when we think about black literature and things like that, I mean, rage and anger plays a huge part in the ways in which we uncover or liberate ourselves from that blindness, that loneliness and that terror and replace those things with love and liberation. And so when I think about that chapter, like I wanted to make the case and argue that rage was was at the heart of of so much and so much that we do and can accomplish. And that if we're going to accomplish those things, then our rage must have room to speak and 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 do so without any consequence. Yeah, man. I mean, it's it's almost to me immoral. As a human being to stare at injustice mm. and have no reaction, you know, or mm. deny whatever that natural reaction is. And I think that most of our natural reactions to injustice is some sort of passion. You know, it's, mm. it's interesting, right? Because, you know, white people get upset. I mean, we see this in with, I don't know how much football or sports you watch, but we see this in sports. You'll see like Tom Brady go to the sideline and go off on everybody, throwing mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. having a fit. Mm-hmm. And he's so passionate and competitive, he just wants to win. You'll see mm-hmm. Odell Beckham go to the sideline mm-hmm. and throw a fit. And he's he's a diva. He's a prima donna. It's all about him. Mm-hmm. We see this natural mm-hmm. sort of juxtaposition to, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, us showing emotion versus mm-hmm. white folks showing mm-hmm. emotion, right? When the reality is anytime a person deeply cares about something, there is an emotion that comes from it. There is something that, as you, as you talk about, man, there's something that springs forth naturally. That's why the disciples were like, yo, they, 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 Jesus reaction to that injustice was so profound in them. They were like, yo, this is, this is like, we got to reach back to some ancient writing. We got to reach to the Tanakh mm. for this, like, to get, like, mm. like the zeal for your house has eaten me up. They had to find something sacred to describe it because it was that they saw something, I think, in that rage. And that's what I think, mm. what I love that you're trying to pull out of, uh, in, in that mm-hmm. chapter and you're trying to bring forward is, like, rage over injustice is a beautiful thing. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. It ain't mm-hmm. like... It's not something to demonize. It's not something to walk away from. It's something to lean into. Oh, 100%. Yeah, something to lean into. And I think when we think about the church, like like so much of theology has not only distanced us from our bodies and what we feel, but almost distanced us from, like cut us off from certain emotions um, because we have received traditions. We have inherited traditions uh, that are mainly white, that are mainly male, that are mainly straight, that are mainly privileged, that that in order to like move into certain emotions and to feel certain emotions mean that we have to kind of deal with like what we have inherited. And oftentimes what we have inherited is so caught up into power. And when I use the word we, I'm not speaking of all of us, but I'm think, speak, thinking of we as in those of us who would even believe ourselves to be religious or spiritual with so much of the both of those kind of twin ideas and experiences are very much rooted in kind of images, symbols, metaphors of Christian tradition um, or Christian's tradition response to other people, whether that be Muslims in, in medieval moments or, you know, Buddhists or, or, or uh, whoever uh, is outside of that framework. So much of how we, conceive of ourselves and our emotions 
are either from the kind of positive ways they thought about themselves in the past or the way, the terrible ways they respond to other people. And I think that we got to get out of these frameworks and that's hard work to do because, you know, that, 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 that slower work. I mean, it's slow work. It means that sometimes, you know, we're going to have to go to ourselves and not to the Bible to think about those emotions. Sometimes we're going to have to like almost get rid of tradition and, and the frameworks we've been being given to kind of understand our body. So sometimes, you know, we're going to need Bessel van der Kolk uh, and the body keeps the score uh, rather than, you know, Paul uh, and, and, and the ways in which Paul talks about the inner person um, and, and, and things like that. Sometimes we're going to need to go to bell hooks uh, to understand black people in love rather than going to the Psalms, even though the Psalms do speak of this kind of, um, collective human experience and tradition, we need some body and some flesh onto some of those things to help us think about what we feel. Um, and, and this meant like for me going to Audre Lorde or James Baldwin, and I'm even thinking about my, my sister, uh, my, Maisha Cherry, she wrote this, um, incredible book entitled, uh, the case for rage, where she works out this Lordian, Lordian, uh, Audre Lorde, Lordian idea of rage. Um, and even June Jordan, where, where, where she speaks in, in, in this question form, where is the rage? Um, and so I think we, we, we have to do a better job of thinking about the connection between our theology, our body and the emotions. I mean, I think if we do that and we, if we continue to do that and continue to do that hard, slow, critical work, then I think that like we would be able to better embody our faith than the terrible ways we've inherited. Cause you know, that is a limitation that we need to get out of. I mean, hundred percent, man. And, and, <laughs> No, I know you saw my face when you started talking about the Bible like that, because I'm like, mm -hmm. you know, there are, I was telling a friend of mine the other day, there's lots of things you can do in this world. And, and, and in the, there's lots of things you can quote unquote, get away with as a Christian. One thing mm -hmm. you cannot do is like, say anything about the Bible <laughs> that mm -hmm. makes somebody feel like you don't think it's a deity. And it, it's, I love how you just arrange that, bro. Like, that there are moments mm -hmm. in life where I need an embodiment. There are moments in life where I have to recognize that I know some stuff that Paul did not know. Oh, facts. <laughs> and, to, I, and to be honest, and to be honest, if, if that cat was like living the day, like, bro, I would not want to be around him. Like, <laughs> I'm that, bro. I'm just, I'm keeping it a buck, bro. Like, for sure. Absolutely. I'm dead serious, bro, because like sometimes like like there were places in his life, bro, like if we think about this dude as like a human being, then we should. And I feel like sometimes we think about those in the Bible as untouchable, like as, as so distant, yeah. as if like they're not yeah. like us. Yeah. Um, this is why I lean on Rowan Williams. I think he has an excellent in, in being Christian in that chapter on the Bible where he talks about th these people, we, we see ourselves in them. They're just like us. So like with Paul, there, there are just like with us. I mean, there are commendable things in our lives and there are things we should be critical of. And I think, I think what we should be critical, what we should commend in Paul is his courage, his, his ability to, to be risky, to be audacious, um, to, to actually take seriously, uh, the religion and tradition in which he inherited. But there are also some things we need to be cr cr critical of his, his impulsiveness, his like, control of the narrative his is like like his brashness like th there are things like bro like i swear like i would not probably that that would he wouldn't be one of my people i wouldn't really rock a ball like that in real life for sure yeah i mean but dude i i think that that what you're bringing to light is something that dr will gaffney brings to light is this interrogation of mm -hmm. scripture the writers of scripture yep. when when and you own and I think you know and it's the first time I've, I've I've thought of this so I'm I'm gonna say it out loud for the first time right because I I never thought this till you were just saying that I think the a lot of the reasons why within white evangelical um, patriarchal churches and religious spaces there is not a critique or an interrogation or a fear of that interrogation throughout the congregation is because mm. by and large if you are a white male in power. Mm -hmm. The Bible looks like you. Okay. There's, there is like no, there's 
when you read about God's silence over rape and mm-hmm. and and all these other things that happen the, of powerful people taking vulnerable people and taking advantage of them or exerting their power mm-hmm. over them, you have that same power. So at worst, you're going, I have to restrain that power and not use it, but you're not you're not on the other end of that exploitation the way mm-hmm. women are the way marginalized people are, the way enslaved people have, you know, ancestrally have been. So it's like the interrogation that you and I are talking about of Paul, it's like very easy for us to make because we know what it is for powerful people to use their intellect, to use their, Mm -hmm. their, their power, to use their influence, to use their money to make them untouchable. So we're not allowed to critique them. And once Mm -hmm. we kind of start to learn some stuff, we'd be like, hold on, this actually, this deserves critique. And I'm mm-hmm. going to critique it because I understand how this works now. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. And that's what they did. I mean, the Bible the Bible is this ongoing conversation and criticism. Yeah. Like when we think about when, when we think about like in literary analysis, when we think about this idea of deconstructing a text. Of, of of doing a close reading of a text, of, of thinking about the context of, of um, I, I think it was, um, uh, what is his name? I am uh, um, not Budo, uh, not, uh, I am, I am, his name, he's some French dude, some French dude. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, 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 of, 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 of who posited, like, you have the text, you have getting in front of the text, you have getting behind the text. Um, and it's this idea of the ways of, of approaching the text. You're looking at the context, you're getting in front of the text, you're getting behind the text. You're like, the text is malleable. Like it's, 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 it has the ability to be moved and framed and changed. And so if we look at the Bible through the kind of literary lens and critical lens, not just simply theological or, or, or progressive in a sense of like, there is a, uh, chronological progression of thought and experience. Um, then we'll see that like within the Bible is that kind of critical theoretical framework like this these 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 aspects of like like critical theory in 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 literary studies as as like 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 contextualizing or criticism or skepticism of the text Jesus is literally doing that. You have heard it said, but I say to you, or Paul, as he interprets Jewish tradition, Absolutely. there are areas in which Paul is doing this work. Uh, even, even when we're thinking about like the Chronicles and the history books, like there, there is, there is, there is a politics to interpretation of how history is told. Absolutely. And so like, even within the Bible, there are these experiences where, you know, either people are erased or, or, or people are uncovered and revealed um, and there's traditions in the way we do that. And, and we need not like run from that. And I think it, it was when I read like uh, Peter Gomes and, and, and Willa Gaffney and Renita Weems, um, as, when we think about theology, we was thinking in that, particularly in that theological world um, and, and, and that interpretation world. And, Moose, and my, one of my professors, Musa Dubey, who introduced me to all types of like uh, interpreters of the Bible, that is, that is where the Bible comes alive. Like it is, it is in yes, the exploration. Sir. It is yeah. in the rereading, getting in front yes. of the text, getting the behind the text, moving around the text, almost like jazz musicians and, yeah. and improv, improvising. And it's, yeah. it's being able to move around and to, to take what we need and move and get rid of what we don't, you know, and things like that. And, and, and you know, that, that that's where we become free. That's, that's, that's where I think, for at least for me and my own experiences where I actually did fall in love with the Bible again and preaching and, and just studying the Bible and talking about the Bible, you know, because I do believe that the Bible is a critical text for white, like for how we think about ourselves. It's, it's a foundational text, you know, how we think about ourselves, but it's also a text, you know, that's just like us. That's, that's messy. That's ugly. That's, that's problematic, but also powerful. And, you know, just because something may be skeptical doesn't mean that I do not believe it's sacred. Um, so, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Bro, um, <laughs> I knew we were a lot alike. You just you just way you just you just way out there deeper in the pool of education. Than I am. But like <laughs> I knew we were like cut from the same cloth, my man, like as you were talking and, and that word you use sacred, it resonates all the way to my bones. 
about how I feel about the sacred text. People actually have this misconception of me, even those close to me, that I disregard the Bible, that I don't care about it. That I, I actually love it in the same way. Mm-hmm. I, I love I love God. I love the the, the ideas of spirituality. Mm-hmm. I made a I made a comment, and I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to unpack this some in a later episode. But I made a comment that there are a lot of great Christian books in the world, and the Bible's not one of them. And I had some people upset with me for saying that, you know, like, what do you mm-hmm. mean by that? And I'm like, well, listen, um, there's a whole section of sacred writing, the Hebrew mm-hmm. scriptures, that are not Christian. They are mm-hmm. the, like Jesus didn't come to the world as a Christian. So like Damn. all of these things being true. And when you say sacred, sacred blows the doors off of religion for me. Mm-hmm. Sacred goes mm-hmm. everybody and everything mm-hmm. that's created, mm-hmm. everything that has breath Mm-hmm. has a sacredness to it, regardless of what label we want to put on it, right? And so when you say 100%. that, man, it just makes the the life that I heard in that, just like, you know, I, I feel like Martha, like with John the Baptist leaping, <laughs> leaping in, my, in my womb, bro. Like this is, that's what, that's it. That is it right mm-hmm. there, man. Mm-hmm. It, it's alive, mm-hmm. it's human, mm-hmm. and it's divine. Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, you know, to go back to the text, you know, that the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, and therefore all that dwells dwells in it. And when we, and and I think like we skip, like we we don't do enough like close reading of the Bible. When we think about, you know, there is in some sense to a, a sort of reading of that text that could, that could speak of, that can think about God. As you know, okay, the earth is the Lord. So speaking possessive language um, that that can be dominating and domineering, you know. But there is also an, another reading of, of of that language that is not possessive but express expressive. So the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. So a sort of type of fullness as something emanating from, as as something coming up from the ground, as something almost like the 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 almost like a tree that blossoms or a flower that blossoms that that is that is this is the fullness of what was sold into the ground um as the seed got put in the proper conditions of the earth and the and the ground was tilled and and then all the nutrients got put in place and and as the seed and the water and the ground did their thing together what comes from that kind of uh, uh, um, uh, uh, process that kind of natural process comes out of comes comes out of the ground as sort of fullness of that which goes in, and so we think about you know the earth is the Lord, not as possessive. And that may be one way to read that text, and 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 we and we see people do read it that way <laughs> that that like that 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 Christians in the history and even today we think of we 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 if we think about that type of reading of the Bible and republicanism and and this kind of controlling of curriculum and this controlling of the body and this control. Controlling of the world and this conquest and conquering, uh, then if the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof in a sort of possessiveness, then indeed you will justify all types of terrible theology, bad practices. You believe that God is this warrior who just simply wants to destroy and to control, et cetera, et cetera. Or if we read that as the earth is the Lord and the fullness of as expressiveness, then we'll be able to, as, as, as um, I think it was, uh, the, the the church father and theologian Arrhenius that said that 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 the glory of God is is human beings made fully alive, um, but no markers, no mm-hmm. no 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 mm-hmm. no prerequisites, no no asterisks to that to that language. Then we would see that you know that that human beings and how we move and live and have our being is an expression of the divine. Therefore, our artifacts, therefore our stories, our narratives. That doesn't mean that all of them are great. Um, we need to view them with skepticism and and vet them and lean into the best of our tradition. Um, but there is something about the divine there uh, that emanates from us, and, and we should use it. Yes, sir. Um, let, let, let me get you out of here with one more question, if, if, if I can. Cool. Um, yeah, you got it. Yeah. yeah I, um, I, I have had this thought for some time, and you mentioned earlier in, in, in our conversation talking about erasure. And mm-hmm. as a black man, knowing the amount of um, disconnection I have from my ancestors, from my homeland, 
from the spirituality that shaped the people who carried me in their bodies over to these shores in chains. I'm disconnected from that. Mm -hmm. I think about our Jewish brothers and sisters who are responsible for giving us the text from which we built an entire belief system and way of being in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the, part of what my, my um, statements and things that I'm saying about inclusion when it comes to spirituality are based on that. Like how do we take a Jewish Messiah, Jewish mythology and ideology and, and claim it here in the United States and say, we're right about this and y'all will get there someday. Like, I, I just don't, I don't understand that. I don't know how that works. I'd love for you to speak to, um, to that. Like, you know, the, the notion of the tradition of Christianity and the tradition of Judaism, how they interact, how they, how they are intertwined and how we can rightly sort of understand spirituality based on not being people who erase people from history. You muted again. Oh, okay. Well, I I am no um I I am no historian. I'm not I'm no Hebrew Bible scholar or right, right. or a scholar of Jewish tradition or religion. Me neither. Um, but right. I do think, but I, yeah, but I do think, you know, there is something, you know, as I think about I want to think about the Bible, then I also want to think about tradition. Um as 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 I think about my own sense of faith and spirituality it's kind of like the connection is in this term that i this line that i wrote that if if those in the hebrew bible can think of god as a sword and a shield and use that metaphor then alice walker is right to have the freedom to think of god as the ultimate ancestor wow. uh, which was in the preface of wow. um of the color purple which i suggest every <laughs> Bam. When I say people got to read the color purple, like the color purple, I, I got, I still got so much work to do on the color purple. And I'm going to try and do that type of work in like book number two. Like I'm going to try and do as best I can as I think about, you know, this everyday ordinary power of blackness and, and thinking about yes. black and, 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 and thinking about this, like without giving away too much of, of, of book number two, as I work, um, <laughs> thinking about, you know, that of God is the ultimate ancestor or as, 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 as Alice Walker did, which Hagar did as, as the first person to name God, Alice Walker names God as, as that, which is beyond understanding, but not beyond loving. Damn. I love that language. So thinking about Bible, and our Jewish ancestors doing that work and us kind of being engrafted in that tradition, being able to honor their ability to, to develop and construct metaphors for our own faith. But then also I think about community. Um, we, we as Christians should have a sort of humility um, as it relates to our understanding of where we come from and what we have inherited and what we have done in history to relate to our Jewish family, kin, ancestors as those who can like critically help us understand our own faith. So that means we integrating Jewish understanding and spirituality and our own spirituality. Yeah. And it becomes the norm. It doesn't become like, okay, I'm reading my Jewish text today. You know, I'm reading this today, <laughs> but it becomes something normal. Like, like it becomes like normal in how we approach sermon prep. So, like, whenever me and uh, PG, our pastor, Pastor Goodman, are preaching anything in the Hebrew Bible, anything in the Hebrew Bible, first and foremost, always going to Jewish commentary first. Yep. And that's just not going to those texts, but that understanding of the Hebrew Bible is going into the sermon in this preaching, teaching moment. Um, so I think that small way is how we can, you know, as Christians, better relate to our ancestors and yeah, community today. So, yeah, I love it, bro. I mean, I, I, I love, I love the notion of, of honoring versus colonizing Thanks. because there is a, there is a way of using someone's um, history, tradition, misusing it 
appropriating mm. it in a way that just benefits you, that is colonization. And that's what's happened to us as black folks, our music, our shoes, mm. our style, our, mm. our, all of these things that, that dominant culture goes, oh, we want, we don't value you at all. You know, we actually hate mm. y'all, but give us your shit. So we'll, we'll use your stuff so we can like, so we can prop ourselves up. And, and I don't, I think I see some of that mm. in, in the ways in which the Christian tradition can use Jewish culture mm-hmm. and prop themselves up. And, and there's a part of that. I'm just like, uh, and I, I just, I love mm-hmm. the way you describe that. And just hearing mm-hmm. you talk about spirituality as a whole, it sounds like a very inclusive spirituality that I'm like, okay, I can mm-hmm. rock with that. You know what I'm saying? That's something I can yeah. get down with. Yeah, one hundred percent. And so, like, when when people ask me about my faith and things like that, I tell them, "Yeah, I'm a Christian. Like, I I love being a Christian. That's a meaningful identity. Yeah, uh, it is an identity that informs like who I am and what I do. But it's also a messy identity. Um, it is I inherit that. Like, that's a part yeah. of my inheritance. You separate. You know, from- I, hey, I I I inherit the good, the bad, the ugly, and and I got to make sense of that. It's it's a meaningful identity and a messy identity but it's not a totalizing identity. Wow. Like it's just a part of who I am. You know, before we ever come into the world, before we, like when we first come into this world, we, we are, we're giving nothing in a sense. Like, and we learn who we are sometimes good, sometimes bad. Not all that we learn, you know, is terrible. Uh, not all that we learn is, is good. And so we have to figure out how to take on the better part of those identities while kind of getting rid of the, the worst part. Um, and so when I think about being a Christian, it is indeed an inclusive identity. It's a meaningful identity. It's inclusive. It's always expanding. Um, Baldwin would say in the fire next time that if the concept of God, and I would even say the concept of faith um, and, and spirituality um, uh, it, uh, is, is to make us, uh, um, if, if it has any validity, um, if it can do anything to shape and change the world, as as he said, and he actually uh, spoke at a uh, World Council of Churches, and he talks about that he believes that Christianity is is can remake the world again. It is meaningful, but he says if it is to do this, if it's going to be a part of this change in the world and in ourselves and helping us become better, um, then it will need to make us larger, freer, and more loving. And so wow. that for me is what I'm trying to become larger, freer, more loving. Dude, so, so good, man. I so appreciate the time you took to come by and, and, and talk with us. It's been amazing, but I hope we can stay in touch. Um, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm hoping to have found a new friend. <laughs> you know what I'm saying oh, like, this. Yeah. bro, I, I, I so appreciate the way you think and, and, and articulate, um, you know, what you're working through and trying to understand about, about God, which is yeah. a never ending thing. So thanks for coming on the Morning. podcast, man. I appreciate you. Oh, you know it, bro. Want it. Folks, that was Dante um, Stewart, author of uh, Shouting in the Fire. And if you've not had a chance to get that book, there is a link in the show notes that can give you access to all of his work and what he's up to, his, his social media handles. I appreciate all of you listening, rating, and reviewing the podcast. Thanks to the Patreon again, and thank you to all of you for helping us to contend for a better world, one conversation at a time.